This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time now for Sensing Bros, a program about whānau, well-being and personal growth. This program is about natural buzz. There's a group of us brothers who are living alcohol and drug free and we want to share our stories and celebrate the things that are going right in the world. There's a lot of negativity. We're about positivity. We come from diverse cultural backgrounds, Samoan, Tongan, Māori, and we just want to share the love.
words of the late Marvin Gaye, what's going on? What's going on? My name's Phil Sietanga. We've got some... I've made noise again. You just, you keep fiddling with the coffee I while know, you're talking. And I know, I like, know. I'm just it's okay. over here. Okay. And then we can I can't <laughs> reach it. I can't reach it. No, keep going. We'll just go with this now. <laughs> it's our third attempt. <laughs> uh, now I'm rubbing my hands. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus. I'm here with Talia. Would you like to? Hi. Um, my name's Talia. I'm Phil's second daughter and um yeah i'm just keeping his cup of coffee away from him so that he doesn't fidget with the lid constantly while <laughs> during the conversation mm, i was going into automatic and starting to um you were i was um what is going on people here we go we're going to talk about something that's um really important and often doesn't get discussed by men, or if it does, it's um, it's a subject that causes some ire, mm, some discomfort. Some discomfort. So, as a human being, man person, <laughs> that's how I identify. <laughs> that's how I identify myself. You can call me Hugh. I don't know, um, but as a as a person, and as a father, and as a man who's grown up. Um, I keep getting notifications on my computer, so that's what that little is for those of you who are who are native, <laughs> digital natives. Um, um, and I've I've um, I've I've been thinking about it, um, and where we might have got to anyway in terms of social fault lines and. From 2016, that sort of the, the Me Too movement kicking off. 2016. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, but I haven't read a lot of feminist discourse, but my daughter Talia has, so this will be a good learning opportunity for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't hold myself out as an expert, um, but it is something that has interested me, obviously as a woman <laughs> um, mm. so yeah I've been reading a couple of novels or well not novels, books non-fiction books about um, about misogyny, the history of misogyny uh, the history of the women's rights movement the Me Too movement, a lot of literature has come out of that um, yeah so I guess we're going to talk about those topics. Who have you been reading in particular? Well, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name correctly, um, but her name is um, Soraya Chamali. I think that's how you say it. How and do you spell it? It's spelt S-O-R-A-Y C-H-E-M-A-L-Y hmm. um, And she wrote a book, a really, really great book called Rage Becomes Her. And then I'm also reading a book called Good and Mad at the moment. And that is by another woman who, whose name has just escaped me. Um, Rebecca Traster. And also 
um, there's a book called A Brief History of Misogyny, The World's Oldest Prejudice, written mm. by Jack Holland, who's actually yeah, a man writing about misogyny, which is really interesting, and he addresses that in the first chapter. And then there's another girl, um, another book called Down Girl by Kate Mann, who's a very prolific feminist writer as well. It just out of... Um, do, do any of them address misogyny in music, or are they more systems, political... Oh, well, music Cold. certainly falls within culture and pop culture. Um, I don't, none of them address it as a topic in itself, but I'm sure that there's been bucket loads written about it. Um, but yes, they do touch on it, I think, on um, lyrics that are sexist. <laughs> I mean, and that's a very common topic as well, just kind of calling artists out has become more common now. Um, yeah. mm, and that more recently, since the Me Too. Since yeah, this. and there's been a re-evaluation of old favourite songs as well. Mm. Um, like Baby It's Cold Outside, the Christmas mm. duet. Mm. It's now been dubbed by some as, like the, uh, uh, as a rape anthem. Wow. <laughs> Even though it, it seemed perfectly innocent a couple of years ago, wow. but now when you re-examine the lyrics, it's a little bit like, oh yeah, a, a girl is trying to leave. And she's being told that she shouldn't leave. She should stay the night. And the guy has been really oh, <laughs> pressuring. You know, and it's so funny. You look back at all these songs and you're like, oh, yeah. Wow, I didn't notice that. Yeah, well, I was listening to Taylor Swift, people. Yes, who's just come out with the Red album. Um, man, her lyrics are good. Yeah, she's I, a great I think songwriter. She is, eh? Mm. I think she really captures what's going on Yeah. really well um, for this generation. What song were you listening to? I was listening to, um, I can't remember any of the song titles because I'm not really that into it, but it was the general greatest hits <laughs> list that I just went through and went, oh, that's, that's, that's quite nice the way she's... Right, yeah. 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 Um, but what brought me, I was driving to work the other morning and just parking and I was listening to the song, Sun Was Shining, and I was thinking, oh, I really like that melody to the song and then I started listening to the words mm, yeah. and I went what the hell is he singing about Yeah, it's bad it's creepy Yeah, you know but it's a really um, it's a really well known right tune. yeah um, Bruno Mars yeah. is part of a, a duo called Silk Sonic and they recently came out with a new song um, and the music's really cool. Like you'd really like it. It's very much harking back to old school R and B, old school soul, sort of Motownish as well. And um, but the lyrics of this new song go: I I thought she belonged to me, but she didn't. She belongs to everybody. And that immediately <laughs> was like, dang! I wanted to enjoy this song, but the idea that this woman Possession. is public property yeah. at the, at, in the chorus of the song yeah. is just so problematic to me. And I know that um, that's not the intention. It's almost, it's kind of a bit of a goofy song. Like the music video is a bit goofy. Yeah. They're just crying over a girl that they really liked that cheated on them. But the choice of lyrics is very um, not feminist <laughs> because men don't, it's written by men and they don't necessarily have to think this way. Oh, well, when you said it, I thought belonging yeah. and, and possession. 
Yeah, she. I thought she belonged to me alone, but she belongs to everybody. Ooh, that's... Oh, no, right. She that's, belongs well, to that's, herself. <laughs> that's just a... Um, is, is that like a passive-aggressive... No, it's not even that. It could be like an insult. Oh, yeah, it was just a sad song, really. Right. A sad sort of mo- mopey song. Well, that takes us into this, this, this idea of um, emotions... And the two titles, you know, mm. Rage and Rage Becomes Her is quite a cool title. Yeah, definitely. Because it has this picture of a, of a person. Um, it's play, It's a really interesting play on words. Mm. So from that book, what is Rage? How does this... Well, um, I actually have a quote here that I wrote down from the book because I thought it was really good. So she's talking about, uh, the author's talking about woman's anger, and particularly how Me Too has sort of reinvigorated woman's anger, um, and how society and patriarchal society tends to react to a woman who is angry, to rage. And she says... This it's, it's for quoting, we've got to get permission from rock publishers so is it it's a very very small quote oh it's like a yeah yeah. okay I think that was when you read out like a whole oh that's when I was going to go through the 12 rules of life whenever yeah that's fine oh yeah because it's okay (laughs) all right um I I don't make up the rules (laughs) so she says anger has a bad rap but it is actually the most hopeful and forward thinking of our emotions it begets transformation, manifesting our passion and keeping us invested in the world. It is a rational and emotional response to trespass, violation and moral disorder. It bridges the divide between what is and what ought to be. Anger warns us viscerally of violation, threat and insult. And she also says that a society that does not respect a woman's anger is one that does not respect women. So tell me more about a woman's anger. (laughs) Well, often the response is that a woman who is angry is being um, hysterical, that's the classic one, or dramatic, over-emotional. There was the classic case of um, Trump accusing the the Fox Network reporter of... Sorry, who? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who's this guy? I've erased him from my mind. Oh, Oh, Um, that guy. Of anger menstruating so he immediately related her hard-hitting reporting to the fact that she must have been on her menstrual cycle so Mm. there's this dismissal of woman's anger and the flip side to that is that men are while they're considered more aggressive than women and they do tend to be more commit more acts of physical aggression than women but that is true but it doesn't necessarily mean that they, that women feel angry any less than men. And men's anger is actually much more respected in the public space. Um, Socially normed. Yeah. To it. So um, uh, if a politician who's a man who is angry, who is given, giving a very sort of loaded speech, um, he's likely to be considered passionate, informed... Whereas a woman doing the same thing is likely to be heralded as over-emotional, anger's clouding her judgment, she's just out for vengeance. Mm. And these tropes still Mm. very much play out 
um, yeah, in political discourse. But really, what the the interesting thing about rage becomes her, or the point that I got from this book, and I don't think it's a point that this book itself made. I think that this is an idea that's been around in feminist literature for a long time. But the idea is that the diminishment of woman's anger is tied to the attempt to push women out of public spaces and into the private space. Right. I was I was wondering where it was going mm. with that. And yeah, and I was at, I actually had the, the where's where's the pushback? Mm. Um. Oh, that's that. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, I, I know that woman, certainly every woman that I know, can personally attest to having one of those um, demeaning words thrown at her when she's attempted to express anger. I know a lot of women in leadership roles, you know, mm. and, um, who have who would say that as well, that they've had to push through the ceiling they thought that was there. But what was that ceiling? Mm. And a lot of it is attitude culture. Yeah. But behind it are some core beliefs about position and position and status. And t- tone policing is this subtle tone form of policing. control that, yeah. It's a new word, new phrase. What the hell, I like that. Yeah. Um, tone. Hmm. It's not, it, it is, it is, it's not too uncommon, it's, I think. Is that, so is that like reading the room? But also, you know, the same faculties go into sort of like discerning the room, but mm. manipulating a space where attitude and tone, attitude and tone being the same yeah. thing. It um, can be, it, it can be similar to that. Mm. I think it's more the way that the tone policing was used in the context of Rage Becomes Her was yeah. to describe instances where women are told to say things in a nicer way or told to be kinder when their male colleagues wouldn't have gotten told that well i have to say that that is very similar with how how um i've had to manage the the work that i do for those of you don't know um i'm samoan irish scottish new zealand you know first generation new zealand born but i I work as a counsellor and I've also sat for years on advisory groups to government and um, the public sector. And I've had to watch my tone because mm. often if I'm suggesting that something needs sort of some radical kind of change mm. um, or needs to be looked at with a bit more detail and expressing some concerns that the challenge is perceived more than um, more than the actual issue mm. so that's the perception that I'm challenging and yeah you know and I, I'm thinking oh no I'm just raising the, the concern yeah and being as we say authentic and honest about it which is why I'm supposed to be there mm. so I I have a Years and years and years now. I've been tone policed. Well, it's get, it's got a lot better. Yeah. Um, I, if you're the only sort of brown person that has sort of this, they're perceiving you to represent something of the brown 
world. <laughs> which the monolithic brown world. the monolithic brown world. <laughs> which you then then you really do watch your tone. Yeah. But it's it's for their sake. It's not. But they the sense of um, it's like you know I have a friend who who counsels a lot of young people in schools. Mm. So when he's counselling with Māori and Pacific, particularly with Pacific, um, you know, and they're, they're getting a bit of pride and a bit of sense of mana and they're starting to walk tall. Mm. They have to watch how they're being perceived in a, a little bit because walking tall is sometimes perceived as a threat. Yeah. Because, you know... So this happens in a lot of different spaces, I guess. That's all I'm wanting to say about that. Yeah, and it's good that you mentioned that because uh, the book does go into those intersections of how um, black and brown men get have have to very much guard how they're perceived because they get perceived as being threatening. And this is where Black Lives Matter comes oh, in. Oh, totally. Um, and, black, and, and what she focuses on, though, is the intersection of gender and Mm. race Mm. and how your anger is perceived. So certainly white women experience this, but she Mm. talks about how white women might experience it slightly different than um, black and brown women. Mm. So there's the the, um, angry black woman trope or the angry brown woman trope, which brown women have to deal with, uh, which is exactly what you've described. Mm. Except instead of being perceived necessarily as threatening, mm. the per- the perception might be those other ones like vengeful, over emotional, incompetent, um, yeah, problematic. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and so whereas white woman, it might be more of like, oh, she's she's over emotional, she's dramatic. She's letting her feelings get in the way. The word that comes to mind is hysterical. Hysterical, yeah. The old, all the old ones. So she's saying in her, um, um, there's a place to push back and not to accept that sort of um, way of being perceived. Yeah, well, that it's it's a perception based on misogynistic okay. ideas and okay. assumptions. Okay, so um, how does she define misogyny? Well, I don't think she defines misogyny in her book. Yeah. Because it's been very well defined yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think misogyny is, well... At its basic idea, it's, it's the hatred of women. Yeah. But more specifically, it's the idea that women should be kept out of the public space because they are less intelligent, less competent, um, and less fully human than men. So they don't possess all the same faculties or ambitions or goals or ideas about the world as men do and they don't belong in those spaces their role primarily is to be caretakers carers and nurturers mm, man isn't it a terrible and it comes masked in very 
affirming language the idea that oh no we affirm the value of woman but we define the value of woman as xyz and so you deny that a woman could be fully human you know possess a full range of emotion possess a full range of ideas about the world really want to be active in the public space and how her maybe innate if you want to i mean we could argue about what the innate qualities of a woman are but if you guarantee or if you if you believe that women have innate nurturing qualities because mm. they're wired for motherhood mm. then how is that useful in the public space mm. and this is something that um i think rebecca traster in her book good and mad goes into about how women's movements have actually affected really positive change in the public space. They've been a huge mm. part of, obviously, suffrage, the temperance movement, the labour movement, social justice movements. Black Lives Matter was established by three women. Yeah. And that is a revolutionary form of distributed leadership that's proven incredibly effective. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. That's a, good, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, I've just listened to a YouTube and I'll, I'll just get this I'll just make this recommendation because um, for people which I thought was quite novel it's a TED X Providence talk Responding Restoratively to Masculinity by Kira Mensa mm, to Toxic Masculinity uh, what did I call it? you said you missed out toxic oh I did <laughs> Responding restoratively to masculinity. <laughs> yes, no, you. To toxic, to toxic masculinity. masculinity. And because uh, I think it's really balanced and she's a social worker. Mm, cool, you know? yeah. Yeah. So, people, have a look at that. And at oh. the end of the book um, on that, how do we respond restoratively? Uh, Rage becomes or ends with a chapter that discusses a term which I think is really cool, called anger competence. So she's taken anger management, mm. but she's replaced it with anger competence. Mm. Competence and, meaning yeah, skill. Meaning skill. It's about how to actually harness your anger in a mm. way that isn't destructive to you or to people around you, mm. but that is transformative. Mm. I, I'm working, Well, emotional intelligence mm. is, um, is critical. And men being taught one emotional literacy is what I call it but yeah. but to give language to emotions yeah you know because there's some studies that actually show that that people can give a basic language but not, not much more mm. and it's because we're not it's because the focus in schools hasn't been for this generation on teaching emotional intelligence even though there is a move now with the positive psychology movement and well-being and education, um, you know, to, to to be holistic in their approach. Mm. So that's really important. It's uh, giving language and framing. Um, but the other thing is, uh, and, and that's around civic virtues and character development. It's not just motivation to feel good by being good, mm. you know. 
it's 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 much bigger than that. So anyway, um, coming back to the toxic masculinity, when that when that language started coming in, there was a backlash by men. Mm, yeah, a lot of of that. And have they do they talk about that in terms of men's response or like they're recent writers, eh? Yeah, yeah. So they're in the modern. Quote, yeah. feminism the, well there's the space. there's always the answer or there's always a response of this is reverse discrimination so right and and that that's with right. the Black yeah. Lives Matter movement as yeah. well that, this idea that well now men are getting witch hunted and and there's the um, yeah the incel culture an online co- bred culture of men who actually believe that Feminism now rules the world and controls society, and that men are the second-class citizens, which is a complete reversal of the wow. actual reality. Wow! So, but so and that's a they, that's ha- a pretty radical minority, but they're pretty dangerous. How do they make that case? Like I'm. Mis- well, they argue that um, I guess po- political correctness and woke political culture has gone too far, and now. And they they have deeply held misogynistic, irrational misogynistic beliefs yeah. as well about yeah. women. So it's not like, yeah, they don't, um, it's not exactly a rational, it's not a rational position to hold. <clears throat> mm. But But then there's a more sort of, I guess, generic response, which is to roll your eyes. Often they roll their eyes. They say, "Oh, feminism," or "Oh, me too." And um, she talks about that a lot. Like that's interesting. A, a massive fear around women voicing their sense of inequality or their sense of discrimination is that the men in their lives, their colleagues, their friends, will roll their eyes at them and mock them. And I've certainly haven't experienced that in professional settings yet, uh, because you, you know. You'll come across them. I'll come across them, but New Zealand is generally pretty progressive. and um, But certainly in church, that was the response. In an evangelical Christian culture, uh, that was by and large the response of... Evangelical, um, non-denominational, Protestant... Yeah, that's one. New apostolic reform culture. <laughs> I'm just giving labels to it. Guess which church that is? <laughs> no. Yeah, because they have a very complementarian view of men and women, which is misogynistic at its core. Uh, but they don't see that. <laughs> mm. Um, mm. Yeah, so often mocking is the response. Well, if, if misogyny is hate, what is hate? You tell me. Yeah, yeah. So um, it would be it would be expressed actively in discrimination and held privately in um, a sense of superiority. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And then it will come out in multiple different ways of control. Yeah, which yeah. they don't, Dominance. which they don't recognise. Yeah, so they do not recognise that as hate. They think that's the way that the world is, mm. and the way that it should be. And by imposing that mm. and maintaining that, they are actually committing themselves to love. 
if that's... Do you know what I did yesterday? What? I listened to um, a three-hour and a bit um, podcast of of the same guy, but um, interviewing Richard Rohr, yep. Franciscan. A really lovely interview. Um, and a couple of other people. Uh, Brad Juzak. Yep. And... Um, Brian Zand. Oh, cool! That's a good lineup. It was a really good lineup. So, th- since we jumped into the theo- theological, religious mm. culture, um, yeah, the the hierarchies of control and the kingdom and the language used very, um, very closely ties to Christianity and to colonization. Yeah, all of this, yeah, it all, all goes back to colonization. <laughs> white supremacy and um, but psychologically also the the desire and need that just sits universally within people to find security mm. and safety yeah a bit like what's happening in our COVID situation you know mm. the, the, the that we won't talk about it today but we'll come back to talk about um Talk about that. There's there's a guy. There's a guy who's sort of middle alt turner for M- MD that I've been watching, and um, one of the things that he started calling, and this is the first time I've heard this, is Covidians, <laughs> Covidians, and, I, and versus um, Covidians. <laughs> so I don't know what that binary polarization means, you know, but I do know that there's a lot of stuff that we need to um, unpack around. The fears and anxieties that are and poor public messaging. Anyway, um, back to the um, the issue because we've just tipped. We're just on the tip of the iceberg. Mm. I think with the, with the conversation. Um, Is there is there sort of something that that you wanna that just really struck you when you're reading through um, that stands stands out for you? Yeah, well, going back to the quote that I shared at the start, um, the idea that. Anger shouldn't immediately be demonised, and that a woman's anger, especially, shouldn't be demonised because a society or a family or a church that does not respect a woman's anger does not hold space for it, does not consider it valid, um, doesn't actually respect her, isn't actually allowing her the full gamut of human emotions isn't allowing her the the emotion of transformative change because her anger could very well be a rational response to a real violation mm. you know I've worked with worked with a lot of women where that's true mm. it's really really true and um, and some of them have been really violent but you understand it because it's in response to, you know, 
it's it's it, it's in response to the harm that they've suffered. Yeah. Without going into too much detail. Mm. For men, when men hear generally uh, anger, anger is wrong. Don't be angry. Mm. It's 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 a strong message that um, I unpack with a lot of men to talk talk about what is frustrating them. Mm. And some people were sort of like the frustration is just, it's chronic. It's just mm. on because the perception often that a lot of men that I work with have of themselves is one, they're not good enough. Um, there's something wrong with me, mm. you know. And and some of that comes out of the um, their experience of shame. Mm. And they're under pressure. Um, but having said that, um, what song would you like to recommend? Okay, so <laughs> I'd like to recommend a song from the 80s called Jig of Life by Kate Bush. Are wow. you, are you a Kate I remember Bush fan? Kate Bush. Babushka, Babushka. That's all I remember. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, well, so the Hounds of Love album is honestly a masterpiece i've been listening to it on repeat there's there's like two halves of it and the second half of it is called the ninth wave and it's i think it's five or six songs and it's designed as a concept piece and the concept behind it is that these songs are written from the perspective of somebody who has fallen over the side of the ship and is lost at sea they've just got their little life vest a little light and they're trying not to fall asleep in the water and they're waiting for somebody to rescue them. So it's a very, so that's the concept. And the songs do actually take you through all of the emotions that you would experience. So terror, grief, um, thinking about your loved ones. And then the jig of life is the moment in the concept piece where the person meets her future self who's an old woman and the old woman is telling her to fight for her life and it's done as like it's a it's sort of based on a celtic old celtic folk songs so it's very kind of like jiggy and full of life wow and i thought that actually it's kind of i've been listening to it on repeat because it actually is just a banger of a song but also um i felt like it fit almost with the theme that we're talking about because the, the voice in the song is visceral. You could say it's angry, but it's not angry in a in a threatening or irrational way. It's anger in a, like, fight for your life. Like, And the old woman is telling the young woman in the water, like, this moment doesn't just belong to you. It belongs to me as well. It belongs to all of your potential. It belongs to your future selves. Wow. And then there's this beautiful poem that Kate wrote, Kate Bush wrote at the end. Read out by an Irish man. I don't know who read, reads it out, but it's pretty cool. Mm, could have been one of our ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, that's, I look forward to that. Yeah. And uh, thank you for your insight. I do have one more question. Yes. Because um, it's more around, do they talk about do they enter into the sort of like more of a mystical conversation around spirituality? 
Not Head these off. authors. No. So they are journalists. They're very much of the moment. Yeah. And they're talking about. Um, but if you want more of the the sacred feminine. Yeah. Um, I would say Cynthia Bourgeau. Yes. Book The Meaning of Mary Magdalene is really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And also Andrew Harvey. Um, he's a man, but he's written The Son of Man. And he's got a chapter called Jesus and Woman where yeah. he talks about wow. how radical Jesus actually was mm. about his affirmation of the humanity mm. of woman in the midst of a culture that was incredibly patriarchal. Mm. And I think I, for, I think what, just in general, just as a huge generalisation, but I think it's really important that having, having a... Um, Having a picture of Jesus like that mm. is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very different picture from the the picture painted by complementarianism. Hmm. Yeah. Or the warmongers. The warmongers, yeah. They're dead PPs, people. We're in a season. <laughs> We're coming close to, to the peaceful season, if ever there was one. And the less so. a society respects women and guarantees women's rights, the more conflict prone that society is. The less women that you have in leadership positions and official positions, the more conflict prone. The more conflict prone with less women in leadership. Yeah, and less <clears throat> less structural and social guarantees for women's rights. Yeah, right. So it's actually right. yeah, the yeah, warmongering spirit goes hand in hand with complementarianism. The idea that women have their place and they need to st- stick to it. Yeah, it's much more complex, eh? Mm, yeah. I think men are, are now having to catch up with the complexity of of it, and and that's good. Mm. And still feel that um, when it comes down to it, we've got to make a contribution that's enhancing to life. Yeah, yeah. The jig of life. The jig of life. Here it is, people. <laughs> Dance with me. No. <laughs> All right, hey, that's awesome. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, it was the least I could do for humanity's sake. <laughs> no, it was good. It was really, there's a lot to pick up from. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Hello, old lady. I know your face well. I know it well. She says, no, 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 so the crosswords meet when you look into the future Never, never say goodbye